Everybody bring it in episode 39, almost to 50 of the Read Option podcast. We're sticking with our football preview theme here over the last week. Uh, it is Monday evening at time of recording. And boys, it is week zero. I'm here with Scotty and Vito. And we get college football. The football, this is football is back week. So how are you both doing? Before we get into college football, there's some other things we have to get into uh, regards to fantasy-wise, and uh, then we'll get into college football. But, boys, how are you doing? How was the weekend? How is everybody? Good, man. Good. Uh, um, you know, I, I got up here to Cleveland um, and uh, made, made the trek with some stuff. Went to the Browns game on Sunday. That was legit. Shout out my boy George, who uh, hooked me up with some tickets there. So uh, can't wait to go to some games this fall. I um, just love being in the stadium. First stadium I was in, in in a while, even though it was preseason, it was so sick, you know, just to be in a stadium again, cheering, doing the dog pound. Ho, 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 ho. So that was a, it was a good time, man. Yeah. I, I got some work done around the house. It finally stopped raining out here on the East coast. Thanks to that hurricane making its way up the, uh, up the Atlantic coast. So got some work done outside and uh, it was great. I'm ready for fall, though. I mean, I'm tired of sweating every time I just go into the garage to get the lawnmower. So uh, I'm ready for fall, which means cool weather and, and football uh, every weekend. So uh, looking forward to that. It's always a surreal moment when you're like, you know, especially if you grow up in the Northeast, or you're around cold weather and you're like, God, I just want it to be warm. It's like I almost feel guilty wanting it to be cold again, because like yeah, sometimes right. it can just get so unbearable that you're just like, just let it be warm. Um but I, I'm and with by you. January. You're like, I didn't ask for this. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted it to be tepid. Yeah. <laughs> but when, but when it's been as ungodly hot as it's been in the, uh, in the Northeast for this summer, like very unseasonably warm, uh, you know, we're, we're all kind of looking forward to it, ready for the leaves to change and ready for football, which again, week zero comes at you this weekend, a week from now, we're going to be talking about college football games that count that matter that are on the records. And uh, I cannot wait. But before we get into any of this, as listeners and patrons of this show know, uh, the three of us started podcasting by doing a podcast for our fantasy football league, to which Scotty, the commissioner, as he has been dubbed on this show, uh, is our commissioner. He's our leader. And we have our draft coming up this Sunday. We're all crunching the numbers. We're all getting ready. And Scotty's been teasing us a little bit, saying, like, hey, guys, draft announcement video coming out. Scotty's, like, the best commissioner, uh, objectively. He does weekly recaps on our podcast. He takes it so seriously, but not in, like, a like a douchebag kind of a way, like, in a way that is just genuine and awesome. And he makes the league so much fun for all of us. And, Scotty, you outdid yourself this year, all right? So we're not going to give anything away because through the magic of producing, right here I'm going to be entering – the surprise that Scotty gave us. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone with some serious business to attend to for XFL 3.0 Fantasy Football. What up, boys? We're back. We're back. And I'm just swinging by here because your guy Scott hit me up, shout out Scott, um, and asked me to be a little part of your league this year in the capacity of randomizing your draft order. I don't know if he told the rest of you that he was doing this or not, but 
I got all 12 of your names from Scott, and we're gonna do a little draft order reveal show right here on the screen. So get out your pens and pencils. In some of your cases, get out your crayons, and let's do it. XFL 3.0 2021. The 12th pick goes to Jeff Gimpel, who I may have pronounced his last name wrong. It's either Gimple or Gimpel. Not sure, but Jeff G, you are at 12. Pick number 10 will be made by Vido or Vido. You're at 10. Third pick goes to Scott. Scott, you got the third pick. Now, first, congratulations on your parents having exquisite taste in first names. Second, can you not disgrace our first name the way you did in 2020? Scott, what was that, dude? Owen 13? Your fantasy team last year, Scott, was like, was like the Jets and the Jags got COVID and decided to have a baby. That was your 2020 fantasy football team. Come on, Scott. You got the third pick, man. Hit a home run with it. Let's go. All right, XFL 3.0. Appreciate y'all inviting me by. I hope that's what you were looking for. By the way, Scott gave me permission to crush him as if I needed permission. 0-13, you have to like try and be 0-13. Like, anyway, he's gonna win something this year, I hope. Guys, have an awesome draft. It's best night of the year, I don't need to tell you that. Stack your lineups and then come see your boy week one for the Octobox and the Witching Hour all wrapped up in seven hours of commercial-free football. See you, boys. Have a great year. So, Scotty, what the hell, dude? Scott Hansen? You got the <laughs> man mean, Scott look. Hansen to announce our yeah. draft order? Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Um, I, I have had an NFL red zone for, I think, the last four years now, and I've never looked back. Uh, but there's something about that man's voice that just makes me – I have chicken skin about the fact that football is on. Um, jingles and so jingles. So I thought, who better? Your belly. Who? Yeah, that's right. Who else? Who better to announce the fantasy football draft order than the man, the myth, the legend, uh, the Octobox, the host, Scotty Hansen? Um, it was awesome, man. He crushed it. Uh, just an unbelievable job. So thanks, big thanks to him. If he's a if he's a listener of the show, I'm sure we'll get him back in the league. I'd love to make him a friend of the league. How about that? Make him a friend of the podcast too. Honestly, no, dude. Like yeah, we'll it, it, the whole thing was spectacular. We we I didn't put the whole clip in there because you know I don't want to make everybody listen to to the whole eight minutes of Scott Hansen breaking it down. But I mean, you literally sent this to us like an hour ago. So Scott uh, Vito and I are still like freshly reacting. He didn't tell anybody he was going to be doing this. Uh, Scotty, you went above and beyond. He messed up my name. He messed up Vito. Is that what he called you? I, yeah, of, of all so. the Vito's name, of, of the two messed names up twice. To screw up. He screwed up here. And then, as <laughs> you heard, Jeff as, <laughs> as you heard, just absolutely roast Scott. 
like like yeah. roasted him so good <laughs> well deserved he well did deserved. he did you know tell us you know scotty gave me permission and scotty you're you're an amazing sport for for doing that um it was just i, I listened to it twice on my drive home because i just i couldn't believe what i was hearing it was, I was a, crying laughing man that was so awesome unbelievable i'm gonna go through for future pods and cut it up so that way scotty hansen is introducing us as we're coming into the read option every every week because i honestly like that was that was spectacular that was absolutely spectacular cool thank you i'm glad you guys liked it um yeah and the league loved it too i mean everybody was losing their minds you know i i've I've always thought as someone who had never experienced a cameo, like one that was made with like me involved that I was like, Oh, it's so cheesy. Like people are just paying to come do stuff. I'm wrong. I'm so wrong. Being on the receiving end of that was honestly one of the coolest freaking things. And it's got me so fired up. Like I'm going to be doing so much fantasy draft prep this week. And I think before I start every day, I'm just going to blast that. It's going to be like my new like, yeah, type of it- song. It's just Scott I've- Hansen. I think for, for me, because we have he and I have the same name, so I've heard my name come out of his mouth every week. But for you guys, it must have been like super cool to hear his name or your name come out of his mouth. Yeah. Right. Scott Hansen, you watch, you watch him every Sunday on the red zone, and and his voice is so distinct. And then to hear your name come out of his mouth, that must have been really cool. So I'm glad you guys liked it. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And I will say. This is a side note. This is the ninth consecutive year that I have drafted second to last or last in the first round. Ninth consecutive year. Hey, you're driving, man. You're on that turn at 12. You can drive the wide receiver market. It's better. It's better to be there. But you guys know how I feel about the draft. I'm a running back guy. Like I want my running back solidified. So I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. You're still going to get two good ones. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, getting the turn is fine. I would prefer to be, you know, somewhere in the middle just for once so I can not have to draft at the back end. But, you know, even in, even in next years, year, Jeff, even in years where I'm in multiple leagues, I'm always the second to last or last. So I'm very comfortable drafting there. But um, all in all, just like I, I we had to open the show with that because I'm still reeling from it. Um, and it was it was absolutely incredible. So bravo to you, Scott. And I hope the listeners thought it was as cool as we did because that was the, the voice of Red Zone, man. Seven hours of, con- of commercial-free football. I mean, oh, my God. Gave me tingles and jingles. God damn. All right. Um, <laughs> that's enough Scott Hansen talk, though. I think, again, I could do a whole podcast just on that cameo. Um, college football is starting this weekend. Try to get him on the pod. <laughs> Honestly, how, how much would it cost in cameo? At the very least, we could try like a – like. That, that same amount for five minutes with Scott Hansen. Just like how, how much fun would that be? Um, yeah. He also gave a shout out to two people in our in our fantasy league who are having kids, which was a really nice touch, Scotty. That was, that was good of you to, to have him shout them out. Jeff Martz and Ross, shout out to you guys. Um, but again, college football starts this week. And this week we're, we're tackling the Power Five um, and kind of what to expect here in week one. We'll get in a little bit into the group of five on uh, Friday show, but uh, for today, we're going to do SEC and Big 12 previews. But before we do that, I think it's only fair because the last time we talked about college football on the show, Vito, it was you and I. We were talking about name, image, and likeness. Talked a little bit about the college football playoff expansion. Um, but 
believe it or not, those may not be the biggest changes that have come about. Like this summer has been as hectic and uh, I guess controversial to some extent when you're talking about college football as we've probably ever had, right? So we did have the name, image, and likeness change. Uh, we've seen a myriad of deals going off of players being able to, to profit off of that, which is objectively a f- fantastic thing. Uh, the college football playoff expansion has somehow kind of gotten shadowed in all of this, uh, but is a huge deal and is something that has been a major talking point around college football since the college football playoff existed. But the bombshell that came a month ago was that Oklahoma and Texas will be leaving the Big 12 and joining the already dominant SEC. Um, so I want to kind of start there with you guys because the, the, the waves, the ripple effects of this decision will be felt throughout all of college football in, in a lot of different ways. So when that news, uh, Vito, we'll start with you as an OU kind of guy, um, what was your immediate takeaway? Like, what, what, what did you react? Was it positive? Was it negative? Were you concerned about, hey, what does this mean for anything else? Like, where were you when you first kind of heard the news? I remember hearing it. I honestly forget where I was, but I, I, all I remember is thinking, this is wild. What is this going to do to the, the aftermath of the Big 12? Like, what is it going to look like? What are they going to do? Are they going to – and then instantly – what happens to the other conferences? Cause historically, like when it, when these things happen in one and there's one realignment, a lot of other shoes fall, you know, a lot of other things happen as well. So um, it was definitely wild from a competitive standpoint of, Holy shit, this sec is going to be loaded. Are they in the East and the West? Like how, wh- what happens in Oklahoma and Texas doing it? Um, I think personally, I just think it's honestly bad for Texas. I, I think it's going to be harder for them to come be back. Right. We've heard Texas is back folks way too many times and they're not back. So um, I, I'm just, I'm more interested in what happens uh, with the rest of the teams. There's only so many wins you can have one team has to lose. So like, we're going to see a lot of teams that we're used to seeing with nine, 10 wins have seven, eight wins. And that's going to be like not a bad year in, in the sec some years. So it's going to be really wild. I think um, if you're an sec fan, you can definitely say that this is uh, you know, you're the best conference um, for sure. Uh, if you couldn't already, but I, I guess my, my thing too, is I think, when do they start playing in like 2025? Is that when the transfer oh, happens? Well, <clears throat> technically it's be that sooner is, than that, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, and te- I so think technically, so, right? technically the TV deal ends for the big 12 in 2025, which would be when their a contract would expire and they would be able to leave. But it's kind of widely assumed that there will be some sort of buyout that Texas and Oklahoma will pay, to the rest of the big 12 who is basically going to lose a significant amount of money from those two leaving um, on their next TV deal to kind of help even, even the ship a little bit. And it could come as soon as, as next year. Okay. Got it. But Scotty, yeah, no, I mean, big, big news there. What do you think, Scott? Yeah. I, I it just it goes back to, I heard a, an interview <clears throat> um, shortly thereafter uh, with John Skipper, who's the uh, the CEO of, of Metal Arc Media now, which is like the flagship of of the Dan Lebitard show. Um, former ESPN was, president as well. He was the former e- president of ESPN, and he started Longhorn Network and SEC Network and ACC Network and all that stuff. So he was talking about the media money, which is insane. So the SEC gets no benefit from Texas joining, really, because they already have – the way it works is that if there's a school – that uh, it is in a new state, 
that uh, that joins that conference as Texas A&M did a couple of years ago. That's where the big money comes from um, for the conference and for that school. So um, no benefit there, but Oklahoma, obviously. I, I just, it to me, signified, we've talked about this 10 years ago when we were talking about super conferences and the Pac-12 getting Texas and Oklahoma and a couple of other Big 12 schools, the Big 10 acquiring a bunch of the ACC schools. Um, and to me, it it's... First of all, it's all money-driven, number one, based on the media money. And that money is getting insane. It's just, it's weird. I don't, I don't know where the dominoes are going to fall. So what do you do if you're Oklahoma? Uh, I'm sorry, if you're a school like Baylor, right? Now you're all of a sudden the cream of the crop of your conference. But now your conference is competitive. Now you're going to become more like a, an American, I shouldn't say non-competitive, less competitive than the Power Five. So um, now you're, you're on the, the same level uh, as, as like an American or, or a CUSA or something like that. Um, and it just, it's weird how it, it's going to shake out. The other one I think of is, is Notre Dame and, and what they're going to do. Um, because that media deal, I don't know if you've seen it, Jeff, but it's not as large as you'd think it is with NBC. So I- imagine if you go to the ACC if you're them. And that's your incentive because the ACC doesn't have a school from Indiana. Uh, the Big Ten has no incentive to bring in Notre Dame other than the branding. So um, it's it, there's a lot of lot of moving pieces all Isn't at once. is Purdue so. in Indiana? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The Big Ten uh, already has gotcha. two, two schools from Indiana, so they have no benefit yeah. financially from gaining another Indiana institution. But still, it, it, the branding is where the money's at largely, so... It's it's crazy. I it, who knows how it's all going to shake out. I think uh, legitimately though, the the landscape of college football is going to change as we know it. Yeah, college and, sports really. And and I'll um a couple of housekeeping things. Number one, we we did briefly talk about this on the last pod that Vito and I did before our kind of little break there, but it was before anything was finalized. It was like literally the day after they inquired right. about it. Um, so. Some of this is, is stuff we have talked about before. That's my fault for forgetting. Um, but you make a couple of really interesting points there, uh, Scott. Uh, most importantly being, yes, you don't get the extra bump from a new state being added to your TV contract. And, um, you know, like John Skipper knows more about this and the details of it than I do. So I'm, I'm not trying to say that he's, he's wrong what he's saying. Um, there is a significant bump in there. Texas is a unique animal in this because Texas is the biggest brand in college football. And I know that sounds crazy to say because, you know, it's been since Mac Brown and Vince Young in 2005 that they've won a national championship. And it's been honestly since then that they've really been a nationally relevant, you know, power, especially towards the end of the Mac Brown era at Texas. But Texas, like the, the state, we often you know, forget we talk about it during the political season, but like how massive of a state Texas is, how many fans are there, um, the amount of eyeballs that will then go on to an SEC network game, um, you know, if they're playing Vanderbilt or if they're playing, you know, name random SEC school here. Um, so I, I do agree to an extent where it's like, yes, Oklahoma adds the entire state. 
The other thing that this does is it, it widens the footprint from a recruiting standpoint for the S for the rest of the SEC. And that is of extreme value to the other schools, to the Alabamas. And even in a world that is becoming increasingly uh, less geography based, right? Like college football is as less um, impacted off of geography as it's ever really been. So, that being said, though, Texas is one of the schools that really does make a difference there. And now you're opening up the entire SEC there where schools like TCU and schools like Baylor now have to compete with two SEC schools compared to whatever is remaining of the Big 12. Um, the, the craziest thing about this is, and even still from the time Vito and I first talked about this over a month ago till now, is that we still haven't learned a lot. Like, yes, there are some things we've figured out. There's some things that we know it's official. But the ripple effects of this is going to, you know, kind of continue to come out as we get closer and closer and even until after the actual move happens. Once that move actually does happen, there's going to be so much that we didn't know uh, and all these unintended consequences that are going to come out of it. One of them being, and this is the the fourth most, I don't want to say earth shattering, but like, landscape changing uh things that have happened in college football this summer which is this a potential alliance that's coming out between the acc the big 10 and the pac-12 uh, notably the big 12 is left out of that because the future of the, of the big 12 is really up in the air you know Vito, one of the things we talked about was this idea of all right, well, uh, or is the SEC going to try to then adopt the ACC? And then is the Big Ten going to try to go out and get the Pac-12? Or are we going to end up with two super conferences? And what this potential alliance is, sig is signifying is that that's not going to happen. Because while the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC all have individual schools and programs and all that would be seen as valuable, there is no individual school or two schools that one of these conferences could add that is going to all of a sudden rise their conference to the level of the SEC. So what their argument with this alliance is, and for those who don't know, this alliance is essentially saying that we're trying to create um, a, a, almost like a contract of sorts where Big Ten teams, Pac-12 teams, and ACC teams, we're all going to try to schedule games against each other and basically say, see ya, SEC, we'll talk to you at the college football playoff. We're not going to schedule games with you guys. And they're never going to beat the quality of the SEC, but they will be able to try to combat that with the, the, the overall numbers, just having all of those schools together. And it, again, we don't know what the details of this alliance are yet. But I, I am encouraged that this alliance kind of happened because they all realize that there's not like Notre Dame might inevitably, if we go to a super conference mo model, might inevitably join the ACC or the Big Ten or one of these other conferences. But a lot has to happen between then and now. And this alliance is kind of putting in place because I don't think Notre Dame, despite the fact that their TV contract isn't as massive as, as you said, like you were saying, Scott, I don't think Notre Dame has any interest in joining a conference for football. So of these four seismic waves that have kind of come through in college football this year, what has been the one that you think ultimately will, will have the most impact on what college football looks like five, 10 years down the road? Cause I don't want, you know, us talking about OU and Texas and all this to overshadow how big NIL has been and, and well, the difference in recruiting go. and stuff, you know? Well, I, I was going to go exactly there, Jeff, because just look at what happened with, uh, 
Um, Quinn, the quarterback, I forget his last name, uh, from down Quinn in Texas. Ewers. Thank you. Who, you know, for went his foregone, I don't know, whatever, because you say forego, but I don't know what you say yeah. in past tense. He foregone. Forewent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he, <laughs> he, um, he, like, he foregone his uh, senior season, went up to Ohio State, and he's making what? They, they project like 400, 500K. Somewhere around uh, and so there, it's potentially, yeah. Yeah, it's not – he hasn't played a snap of football, and there are guys who went through their whole career and didn't make a dollar. And now on a recruiting sense, he's not at his school his senior year. He's going to learn the system. I think it's a good opportunity for him. It's going to be pretty cool to see how it works out. But, again, he's 17, and he's he's going to be making a lot of money, a lot more than probably all of us put toga- together, like wh- what we make. He definitely makes more than that, right? And he's, he's 17 years old. Um, but his skill set is worth that much on the open market. It's kind of not open market necessarily, but but his image and likeness, right, is worth that much. Being yeah. the number one overall player, one of the highest rated recruits ever. So um, that I think is the first domino to fall, in, and that I think will have a very wide impact on recruiting. Now Sunday or on Saturdays, you might not see that. We should have the same product on the field, but it will affect the college football landscape so much. I think that that's going to be the one that is the most impactful down the road. Yeah, I think the big question mark is that it depends where you go. Uh, the law varies by state. Uh, you know, there's the NC2A interim adoption of, of the name, image, and likeness, but it uh, depends what state you go to that that can determine whether or not that 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 is the uh, the level of acceptance by which uh, that institution will will adopt the uh, the name, image, and likeness policy. Um, so what you could see is a bunch of people transferring to Ohio states and, and uh, Texas's and, and, and LSU states that have no restriction at all fully adopting. But I think it, that's less of an impact than it is writ large across the college football landscape, because now essentially what you're doing is creating um a de facto sort of NFL minor league, um, which is great because now these kids are getting paid uh, to, to put their bodies on the line. I've been very vocal about this, this policy um, being that, uh, you know, kids, while they do get scholarships uh, and and money, that's, that's what 1%, 2% of college athletes. Um, So I I think it'll, it'll help, uh, you know, with recruiting, number one, but number two is getting uh, getting uh, equity or equality rather for uh, for those players uh, across the board in, in college sports, not just in football. Um, also, I'm really excited for the return of college football video games. So, I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's that to consider as well. So, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and there's still there's still some logistics that need to get hammered out there, uh, and. and Essentially, it, you know, one of the things that allows video games to happen for like the ML or for MLB, NBA, NFL, Madden, all those games uh, is the players union gets involved, right? To make sure that there is a, an equal dispersion of, of money given out to the players. Uh, there is no players union in college football, and there is a way to get around that. It's not a necessity for it to happen, but it makes the process go a lot smoother. So until there is some sort of unified body there to help represent the players, which I think inevitably will end up being the case when it comes to things like group licensing deals. Uh, We just won't 
really know. So I would say within the next two years, I think we'll have a video game. I, I think that's absolutely going to end up happening. Um, but this got to, you know, hammer out a couple nails there. The NIL thing has so many different layers to it. And one of the things, and I get why, you know, college football purists don't like it. You know, they want to hold on to these things. Some guys just don't want to see young, talented guys make more money than them. Like, you know, like there's a whole bunch of different layers as to why people might like may not like this. And one of the things that I guess the one thing that I guess kind of worries me is I see something like what happened at BYU a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know if you guys saw the story or not, but there uh, is a power lifted like a like a protein bar brand based out of Utah um, who paid for all of the walk-ons on BYU's team's full tuition. So essentially all of the walk-ons are now getting full ride scholarships, uh, which I think is, is objectively incredible. That's right. Awesome. Right. Yeah. That's such a wholesome, wonderful, feel good story. And it's, you know, there's a great video. I was saying this to my roommate earlier today, people coming home from war and seeing their families uh, lost dogs being returned to their kids and walk-ons earning scholarship videos. Those are three things that I, I never get sick of. I no, can watch. And I cry every time mm-hmm. I cry every time it's you're happy and you're joyous, but there's tears. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can watch those videos on loop forever and we'll never get sick of watching them. But this is what kind of sucked about the BYU thing. Cause I saw that BYU story. And my first feeling was, Oh my God, that's amazing. Good for those kids. My second thought is how long until Alabama runs out of scholarships and they approach a five-star wide receiver and say, Hey, we don't have a scholarship for you, but we can get you an NIL deal that will give you a full ride scholarship. Come join us. I'm not too worried actually. Um, And the reason I say that is, and not for that reason, because I, I think that at this point, if you're in Alabama, you're getting all the players you can handle. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you're getting them. And, and if you can't, I don't think programs like that want to have, and I don't know this for a fact, obviously, but having sometimes too many guys there, there's a reason why you make cuts in preseason, like in the NFL, but in college, even like what's on the practice squad, right. Who, who's like actually running the drills. Some guys are playing more support. Well, who's getting the reps, right. I guess is where I'm getting at. And I, I don't, <clears throat> I just don't think that'll be the issue. I think it's almost on top of it. Like, I think it's what we've always talked about where it's, Hey, you're a five-star. I have a scholarship for you. Um, but you're probably going to make X amount more. Right. But I, I don't know, because I think when you, when you look at the recruiting classes, even from Alabama, who's been consistently them in Ohio state are just top tier. They're always still are like, there's like a random three-star guy here and there. And it turns out that like that random three-star Ohio state running back was Ezekiel Elliott. Right. But like, there are still guys that, um, you're recruiting against other schools. So I, I don't know. I, I, it's an interesting point, Jeff, but I, I feel like if, if Alabama is all of a sudden to get 30 a year, like you're saying 35 instead of 25, like that, that would change things. So if it does have an effect, like, yeah, that, that's a, a thought I, I had not um, pondered on before. So what you're talking about is a bidding war that ends up in a monopoly, right? So a team like Alabama that keeps generating and generating and generating income for their football program, just because of private funding or whatever, or, you know, outside funding um, from, from companies who want to market the players that they're trying to recruit, then it's, it's a bidding war between Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma, Texas, whoever the hell is recruiting this kid. And Alabama ends up with 
the lion's share of them. And now all of a sudden they've got, uh, uh, they're five deep on, on four, four and five star guys. Or maybe this is how Texas gets back. Well, where are the most profitable, like Texas boosters are going to end up throwing money at kids. My point is that that only, that only validates those schools that, that have those big programs, like those mid-tier schools, like you will never see as much as I love us and our alumni and our, and our fan base, you will never see Penn state crack the top 10. If that's the case, because it's going to be all sec schools that do that. I don't know if that's true though, Scott, because I look at a school and I granted, they are an SEC school, but I look at a school like Arkansas. Do you know who the number one funding like like uh, booster for Arkansas is? It's the Walmart family. Holy shit! Do you know who that the checks. second biggest one is? Jerry Bill Jones. Clinton's. Oh, <laughs> wow! So it's so it's like Arkansas could find a way to do this, and on top of it too, like Quinn Ewers is a great example. You're not supposed to be able to sign NIL deals until you're already in school and the, the, the schools themselves can't like reach out and say, hey, we're going to get you an NIL deal. That would technically be a violation. Um, and to what you were saying earlier, Scott, about, hey, every state has different rules and laws about it. That's true. The BYU thing only happened because BYU doesn't have any state laws regarding NIL right now. If he tried to do that same thing in Alabama or in Tennessee or in Pennsylvania, that deal would not have been able to work out because of the state laws that have been built there. But the expectation is within two years, there will be a federal law about it. So those are the kind of things that'll get hammered out. But Quinn Ewers is a great example of that because Quinn Ewers was committed to Ohio state. Ohio state doesn't have to reach out to them and say, Hey, we got an NIL deal for you. The companies can reach out to Quinn Ewers. He would not have made that decision to, to forego his senior year of college, of high school if he didn't know that he had NIL, NIL deals lined up waiting for him. So it, it eliminates this like fear that schools are going to be the ones that have to directly contact them because the boosters and everything else are going to be that big. The other thing, and to what you were saying, Scott, about this essentially widening the gap that already exists, the rich getting richer, is the thing that's getting overshadowed here in all these changes, which is the college football playoff expansion, which was added to do the exact opposite thing. The college football playoff expansion, in addition to, yes, creating more money for the conferences, for the schools, for the coaches, and, and for the programs, that is absolutely true. But it was also done to help create more interest in the products. That way, schools like Penn State, who maybe finish at nine or eight on a regular basis in the top 10, actually get a chance to compete in the college football playoff. And it, it's fresh. I guess that's why I feel so like Ooh. torn about <laughs> all this stuff because on one hand, yes, like the rich are going to get richer based off of NIL based off the Oklahoma and Texas thing. But the college football playoff is also supposed to kind of help close that gap. So I feel like there are almost two forces in all these changes that are almost butting heads in what they were initially intended to do, all while the literal rich continue to get richer, the people who are profiting off of all of this. Financial. There's balance in the force. It's crazy, man. College football is in a whirlwind. Um, let's take a break. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about the SEC even more. But this time we're going to talk about football because, as my man Ben Hartsock said, former Ohio State tight end, He's like, I'm sick and tired of talking about name, image, and likeness and talking about the college football playoff and talking about college football expansion and alliances. I just want to talk about football. So that's what we're going to do next. 
Boys, it just means more. That's the SEC. And we're not talking about Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC, which, you know, say what you will. When, like, the Super League – I don't mean to go back in this. I'm just going to say this real quick. When the Super League in soccer was announced, everyone lost their mind, and deservedly so. But you can't say that it wouldn't have been fun to watch every week. You know what I mean? Like, you can't say that watching all these teams go up against each other wouldn't have been fun. I'm glad it didn't happen for soccer. Unfortunately, a, a similar version of it is going to happen in the SEC. But, like, when you're sitting down to Auburn, Texas, or LSU and Oklahoma on a regular basis, come on, we're all going to watch. And we're all going to think it's, oh, yeah. it's sick. And same thing in the reverse. If the alliance happens, you know, Oregon, NC State, I'm going to be excited to watch that. Penn State taking on USC in a regular season game. Oh, um. Little revenge from the Rose Bowl. Twenty was it? Twenty twenty fifteen Rose Bowl. Twenty twenty. God, I hate and them. And two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. at that one too. That one sucks. Yep. <laughs> but we are going to talk about the SEC here. Um, and it, just like every conversation about the SEC for the last uh, what uh, fourteen years, we have to start with Alabama. Um, Nick Saban coming off national championship coming off of a quote a quote of the fucking century that he had dropped this past weekend talking about one of his players uh, who's kind of battling back from injury being a little low on the depth chart and Nick Saban just drops this is not a democracy and I just loved it just highly touted recruit has a rough season coming off of injury this is not a democracy you earn your spot here you create your own value it was an unbelievable clip uh, and that's why he's the goat man that's why he is the best to do it in college football and it's easy to fall into the trap of going look it's alabama they win every year it's nick saban he wins every year but i think if you look at the roster they lost a lot from that team last year both sides of the ball both lines and yes he's going to have you young guys in there but I'm not 100% sold that this is going to be the Alabama that we see. Definitely that we saw last year, because last year is going to go down as an all-time team. We've seen back-to-back all-time teams. Scotty, you're raising your hand. Go ahead and time yeah, I care about you. I knew it. I care I about, it was about you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying they're not going to be good. They're going to be good. They're going to be great. They're going to be in the college football playoff conversation. But what happened the year after they won with Tua? They missed the playoff. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I'm, they'll be up there. There's, there's no doubt they'll be a top six team no matter what. But I don't think it's out of this world to say a quarterback's never started a game at Alabama. Yes, he's a top recruit, Bryce Young, coming in a quarterback. Uh, they opened the season at number 14, Miami. Uh, Miami, I think, is poised for a really good year if De'Aaron King comes back healthy. But tough schedule, tough conference. Do we see the same, same old usual, same old Alabama in 2021? Unfortunately, I think we do. I think so. Not unfortunately. I, yeah. I love watching them and Saban go off when he's up like 58 to three and like, you know, they get a special teams penalty. It's like my favorite thing, but he, that's why he's so great. Like you're saying, um, I think Alabama with these recruits until they don't do it, like Scott, to your point, like, it's just like with the Brady thing. It's it's until they don't do it, you just can't bet against them. Uh, so I, I my money's on the fact that Bama's Bama's going to have a great team again with great depth, 
and their their linemen are just going to be bigger and block better and like have holes for their giant running backs that are elite skill players and their wide receivers will get the ball and they're all elite like every player that goes there iron sharpens iron and and uh they have them all there so i think they'll whoever is stepping up to start will be ready yeah they had the number one recruiting class of 2021 those kids are coming in as freshmen now um seven of their recruits in last year's class were five stars seven seven five stars and 16 four stars but seven five stars is absolutely bonkers um, I don't see how that changes. I don't care. It's, it's exactly what I say with, with Brady every year in the NFL. Until, and you said it perfectly, Vito, until they prove they can't, um, which is probably going to be when Saban's not there and maybe even long after that. Um, <clears throat> but until they prove they can't, then I'm not, I'm not going to doubt them. They've, it doesn't matter how much was jettisoned uh, from their team going into the NFL. That's what this program does is breed NFL talent. Um, and so uh, Vito is saying the future is so bright. Alabama has to wear shades. Um, but <laughs> I mean, literally like, look, and the schedule is favorable. They have three real tests. They play Miami in the opener, which should be a great game. Like you said, Jeff, uh, they've got Florida early on in the season on the road. Um, but I talk about a team who's, who's jettisoned uh, a bunch of their talent on both sides of the ball. Um, there was a, a ton of Gators coming off the board in the NFL draft in April. Um, and then the big game, I think, against, uh, against Texas A&M on the road uh, in the, at the beginning of October, and then LSU in, in November, of course. But other than that, I, I don't see a spot where, where they can slip up. Um, maybe Ole Miss because I think they're a lot better than people think this year, but uh, Alabama is, is legendary for a reason. Nick Saban is legendary for a reason. Uh, he gets those guys in, coaches them up. Um, and it's, you know, when you get that, that kind of talent, it's, it's something to behold. So I, I don't see them having any different of a year. So I, I agree with you guys, but the thing is, is when a team has consistently been as good as they have been, which they've been unbelievable since, you know, Nick Saban's gotten there. The margin for error for error for them is, is razor thin, right? Because anything short of a championship is a failure. Like that's how, how they're built on. So even making it to the college football playoff and losing in the semifinals is a failure to Alabama's standards. I think it's very possible. They lose two games on this schedule. I don't think it's likely, but I think it's very possible. Uh, first and foremost, week one, historically when you look at Nick Saban he has lost to quarterbacks who can beat you with his legs who can do things because that's like the one thing you're never going to out scheme Nick Saban on defense or as an offensive team you know going up against right, his right. defense yeah but Johnny Manziel right like th those are the kind of quarterbacks who have always given him problems over his years week one they're playing arguably the most dynamic one of the most dynamic quarterbacks with his legs in the country in Derek King Derek King coming off of an ACL injury only about eight months ago, which we don't know what his health is. Everything out of Miami and, and we, I was working ACC media days, listening to wide receivers, like, you know, doing the, the race, the chase drills, right. Where it's like why one wide receiver starts running, gets a five yard head start and the quarterback has to try to catch him. Right. Like the guys, like the, some of the trainers were a little hesitant about having Derek King do it. And he said, 
fastest, literally the slot wide receiver, the returning fifth year for uh, Miami, sat up five-yard head start. Derek King caught him in like 60 yards because it's a 100-yard like sprint. So Derek King, I think, is going to be healthy. I think we're going to see a version of it. He may not be 100%, but he's going to be healthy enough to play. And I think like if Miami wins that game, I wouldn't be shocked. Not to mention there are players on that team who are riding off the high of winning a national championship. And Nick Saban's going to try to beat all of that out of them. You know, this is new year, new thing. No one is better at that than Nick Saban. But at the same time, we're talking about 19 to 21 year old kids. And I I think week one coming off national championship, you, you have a new quarterback who has all the talent in the world, but what do we see out of him? Because even Mac Jones had been there for Tua and had been there for Jalen Hurts and had been there with Devonta Smith, you know, and, and all these guys have been there for a long time. The wide receiver room is still going to be really good. They have a bunch of young guys. John Mechie is going to be the new, you know, Devonta Smith, the new Henry Ruggs, the new Jalen Waddle of this crew this year. Yeah. He's a really, really good player. But again, one or two losses is all it's going to take to kind of knock this team out of their, you know, traditional Alabama powerhouse role. And, and I think especially when you're talking about one or two games, that's a quarterback having two dumb picks. Two bad throws can change an entire season for Bama. And that's, you're right, the kind of pressure they're under. And, and it ta- you lose a turnover battle, you can have the most talented players in, in the country, especially if they're bad. Like, you, you can easily lose a game off that. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember the national championship <laughs> against LSU? What was, like, the second play of the game? Two or threw a pick six. Right. And look, that LSU team wasn't losing to anybody. That LSU team might be the greatest <laughs> in college football history. But to your point, Vito, it just takes one. And that's against the guy who was looked at at the time as, you know, tanking for Tua, like we were talking about last week. Just There's always a guy. There's always a guy. And Alabama usually has four of them every year. So, <laughs> like, it's. They're going to win a lot of games. Yeah. They're going to win a lot of games. They're probably going to be in the SEC championship game. Right. Just, I mean, they're just, gonna, I think they'll win their side I, I really do but just I think that that was gonna be my theirs. next question is do you think do they win the west and do they win the sec i'm gonna say yes and no like they yes, win the they west win, but they no, win the they west lose the sec championship correct and they still make the playoffs give me both i think they slip up in one of those games uh whether it's lsu or texas a&m but i think both of those one, uh, one of those two is going to lose to the other uh, and Alabama will end up, you know, with that first uh, spot in the SEC West. So uh, I'll, I'll take them. And I like them in the SEC championship game. Um, the, the other team who we'll, we'll get into on the, on the SEC East is, uh, is a little too young for me. But, uh, uh, yeah. And we're going to get there in a second, Scotty. But I'm probably going to live to regret this. But I don't think they win the SEC West. Jeff, I care about you. I don't. I think, I think they are like Texas A&M last year. Texas A&M finished fifth in the college football playoff. They only lost two games the whole season. They were an awesome team with Kellen Mond, Jimbo Fisher, and those boys. The SEC West is a gauntlet. It is every single year. You can never count Auburn out in the Iron Bowl at the end of the season. Mississippi State – or sorry, uh, Texas A&M is going to cause some problems. And LSU is either going to be incredible or really bad. I, I don't, well, not really bad, but like mediocre. It's, it's going to be one or the other. They also have to play Florida, who they're not Florida yet. We've seen the last couple of years, but 
I do like Florida and I like Dan Mullen. I like that offense. And they also have a mobile quarterback uh, who, who's coming in for Mac Jones. So I think they end up losing to probably Texas A&M. But that's no, you know, I think they're going to lose to LSU and they're going to lose to either Miami, Florida, or Texas A&M. They're going to get those two losses and they're going to finish second, in the SEC West, and they'll be in the conversation for the college football playoff, but they won't end up getting in yet. Another good reason why we're expanding the college football playoff, because if Alabama was the five and then a 12 team playoff, how exciting would that be just to know that they're oh, yeah. there lingering, right? God, I can't wait. Oh, I want to get them at like, yeah, number seven going to number six is like, I want to see Alabama play in the snow in like December. Yeah, you know, that's, right? I would love that. They're going to they're they're going to Happy Valley in right? the snow game. Oh, in take December. all my money, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would pay exorbitant amounts to watch that game. <laughs> I do want to talk about the the team that Scotty was alluding to there, and that is the Georgia Bulldogs, who, if you haven't known, have not won a championship in over forty years, and yet is considered by many. <laughs> to be one of the perennial powerhouse teams in college football. Yeah, Herschel Walker, uh, my good friend Buck Ballou was the starting quarterback during that time. Um, so I am very bullish on Georgia this year uh, for a bunch of reasons. I think defensively they are stacked. I think they're the best, arguably might be the best defensive team in the country. Uh, I loved what I saw to JT Daniels last year, a year removed from tearing his ACL, playing in the SEC. Um, and everything I've heard out of Georgia is that he has just taken this next step as a leader, uh, just a certain level of confidence being there. George Pickens, their best wide receiver. We're not sure when or if we're going to see him this year from an offseason injury. Hopefully he's able to get in there. But to your point, Scotty, a lot of young, talented guys, good backfield. That is running back you. There is no debate about it when you look at the guys they have in the NFL. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Debate about it. Well, you're going to come on and stay not. No, we're not having this conversation. So, uh, but I will <laughs> let you Scotty talk about why you like Georgia or don't like Georgia this year as one of the best teams, if not the best team in the SEC East. I do. It's just the, the, the youth um, and the inexperience. They got a lot of guys coming in again, top five recruiting class from last year. Um, they'll have, they'll end up in the top five next year. Uh, but Kirby Smart tends to do that. Uh, four or five star recruits coming in, 20 total commits. Uh, you know, I just, I love JT Daniels. I, I do. I think he's got a legit shot at, uh, at not only breaking out, but making a Heisman run. Um, and we're going to find out early because they, they start with Clemson, uh, which is a huge game to open the season. Like, that's what more can you ask for besides? You know, two playoff contenders going out at week one, Labor Day weekend. You sit down and uh, Saturday night football, and you got uh, Herbie and, and Fowler going at it uh, in uh, in uh, between the hedges there in Athens. Man, I, that's going to be electric. So um, there's another schedule that uh, looks pretty favorable. Um, Clemson to open. Not sure they win that game, but then they got their their cupcakes, and then. Uh, really the first half of the schedule is the bottom of, of their own division. Um, so it'll get tougher as, as they go. Their bye week is the, uh, the, uh, the Florida Georgia game, the, uh, the biggest tailgate in the world or whatever the hell they call it. Yeah. The world's uh, largest tailgate. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Or no, then, the world, the world's largest uh, cocktail party. That's what they call it. 
that's what it is. Yeah, and really, honestly, that's their their toughest game. Um, now they are playing in. Uh, by the way, the the Clemson Georgia game is in Charlotte. They're playing in the Panther Stadium, so it's a neutral field game. So neutral site for that, but still, and the so is the the Florida game. That's in in Jacksonville. So uh, favorable schedule for me. I mean that that division is more than winnable. Um, do they have the talent to beat Alabama in the uh, in the SEC championship game? I think that's where experience uh, will play a big role. So, um, and that's that's you know, uh, for all of of their inexperience, they do have a, a great leader, as as you said, coming out of camp and their quarterback and JT Daniels. Like I said, Heisman candidate for me, just off off the off the jump here. Yeah, I, I think that's all of those reasons. Like the talent that is coming in is a very comparable like situation to Bama. I saw somewhere that I think in the last. And I want to say the last five years, um, you know, there are only four coaches with more wins uh, or more schools. It's, 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 you know, um, with more wins than him in the last five years. So it's Georgia's 52 and 14 and above them are Oklahoma, Ohio state, Clemson, and Bama. And so like, yeah, they, they are that team that's always around, always about to get into the playoff or in the playoff and make a run. And I think this is a year where, this great talent and, and this great coach are going to take the team and make a run. I think they're going to beat Bama in the championship game. Yeah, I'm I'm very high on Georgia. Um, and Scott, the, the the we're going to find out uh, less than two weeks, uh, two weeks from Saturday, uh, one week from this upcoming Saturday, Georgia Clemson, because you you hit the nail on the head, Scott. The rest of the schedule is 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 not threatening. Uh, they got very lucky in the sec west teams that they have to play this year uh the the hardest team on from the west that they have to play is auburn tennessee um tennessee new head coach i'm not really scared of them missouri i mean missouri could be a frisky team i like eli drinkwitz they have a really uh um kind of unheard of quarterback who had a bizarre season last year but it's getting rave reviews a lot of people are really high on them um don't sleep on Kentucky either. Will Levis, a quarterback. Watch I was just going to say, Will Levis there. I've heard some good things about him. Mark Stoops, defense, great defensive player. There's just – there's no one on this on this schedule that has, the, you know, the, the Jimmies and the Joes that match up with Georgia. And when we talk about college football playoff every single year, even if they do – let's say they go undefeated, they beat Clemson and they lose to Alabama or LSU or A&M in the SEC championship game, if they beat Clemson, that will be the best win of the college football season. It just, it, yeah. it just will week one, everything. Like it just will. It's, it's such a check mark. It's such a feather in the cap to what is an objectively weak schedule. And that signature win will get put into place, especially if Clemson ends up winning the ACC and is also a college football playoff team. You know, when. Georgia has to get put into that conversation. Cause I think Clemson's going to probably end up rolling through the ACC a little more difficult this year than in past years. But I do think Clemson still ends up going there. We'll talk about the ACC next week or uh, on on Friday. But I like Georgia. I think Georgia ends up winning the SEC, um, and I think they're undefeated in doing so. Wow, it's bold take. Well, Herschel Walker, nineteen eighty two. I mean, they might lose State one national championship right. game sort of vibes. Love it. Yeah, they they might lose one, but I think they beat Clemson. I, I do. Um, I like DJ Uwe Ungalale, and I'm excited to talk about that. I also want to hear you guys pronounce that, DJ Uwe Ungalale. It's ta- it's yeah, ta- I'll pronounce it's ta- it as well as I did Tunga Vaya. You do it good enough for the both of us, Jeff. You know, you can go ahead and take that one. 
Um, all right. I want to head back to the SEC West real quick, and then we'll, we'll kind of talk about some of the players and some of the, the individual things as well as what to look for in week one, um, that first weekend in September. But of LSU and Texas A&M, those are the two teams in the SEC West that I think have a legitimate chance to kind of turn some heads that, that could have sneaked their way in there. Um, which of those two programs would you see is most likely to, to upset Alabama uh, and, and work their way to the SEC championship game? I'm going to go I with like A&M. Texas A&M. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I think yeah. so too. I, LSU, it's just so weird because you still have just an image of what two years ago, you know, um, like actually uh, winning and dominating everybody. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, two years removed from that, they're still a great team, but a and I, I just really, it's hard for me to bet against a coach and a good team. And I, I really, really, really like AM and what they've built. Um, they've been pretty consistent over the last couple of years and I, I like ramping up. And I think this is the year they take a, a big step, but I still think Bama wins it, but I, they're the one who could challenge. And I think they, they easily could, could have a, an upset game. I think they play them in November, I believe, or no, I'm sorry. It's uh, October, this year, I believe October, October 9th. 9th and it's at A&M. So that's, that's huge. You know, mm-hmm. um, Jimbo Fisher just, I guess, you know, I, there was something about him, uh, you know, declaring he will beat Nick Saban this year. So that's, yeah, that's going to be a fun. Shot. That's yeah. Right. Like I, I'm excited to see like some of this build up already, you know, it's, it's fun. And, and I think A&M has to have an attitude like that if they're going to challenge him. Yeah. I never want to count out coach. O. I'll go down and get some wet, some gray odds and jambalaya and all that good stuff. And coach. O. Um, but that dude's a, a menace. He knows how to coach up. What I'm sorry, is that is that a bad coach? That was probably a bad coach. You're a pretty good um, impressionist. That one's not on the list of thing of impressions you're good at. All right, great. Uh throw that one away. Uh, no, no, anyway, no, no, I, no, no, no. Keep doing it. It's great okay. content. <laughs> Fantastic. I never want to count him out. Um uh, he, uh, he Go Tigers. again, another top five uh Go Tigers. Uh never wanted to never out of the top five in recruiting last since he's been there and look at the, the teams he's put together. He's assembled one of the greatest teams in college football. Uh, don't want to count him out, but I just think uh, the way that, that Jimbo Fisher has built that program from just about nothing after they lost Johnny Manziel, uh, they were super irrelevant and then moved to the sec and, and have uh, they've just, I think they're taking the next step. That that to me, they look more poised to take it than than LSU does to get back to to the spot that they were at a couple of years ago. Um, so I like AM there. So I have both these teams very similar. I, I think they're both in very similar spots. I think both teams are objectively great programs, uh, loaded rosters. I love both coaches. Um, Coach O, like you said, I've been a Coach O fan. I, I never had a college football team growing up. I had always kind of adopted LSU when I was in like high school. I just always liked the, 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 you know, tiger vibe, the, what do they call the uh, death Valley, right? The, the, that's the number one football game I want to go to college football game. Honestly, any football game is a night game in, in death Valley. I think that would just be spectacular. Um, well, that, that tailgate, man, that would be fun. <laughs> 
and I and I again like I love that Joe Burrow team and Jamar Chase. Clyde, that whole team was spectacular. And I also really love Jimbo Fishers. Vito and I were talking about this the other day. Like if I had a son and I was t- sending him to go play college football somewhere, I would have him go play for Jimbo Fisher because I've I've been fortunate enough to work with guys who played quarterback, played running back, played for Jimbo Fisher, know him personally, and know the kind of guy he is. Um, in the the few opportunities I've had to kind of sit and hear him talk ball, you know, off off air. I'm blown away every time. Like, I think he's the best teacher of the game. But at the end of the day, as much as I like both rosters, there is a critical difference between the two. And right now, Texas A&M still doesn't have a starting quarterback. They don't know who it is. It's either going to be Haynes King or Zach Calzada. And I think Zach Calzada has a slight lead on it, but they don't know who they have. And the old adage, as cliche as it might be, does hold some truth, which is that if you don't, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. And LSU was in a similar boat. They were going back and forth between Miles Brennan and uh, Zach Johnson, who is Brad Johnson or Max Johnson, who is Brad Johnson, the former Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, his son. And no Miles, way. yeah. And so is he Miles, also 600? <laughs> um, he doesn't wear the same face mask. I always loved the, the Brad Smith had like the tight end face mask that like covered the bottom chin, basically. It was like an almost like an O lineman face mask. Um, but Max Johnson took stepped in last year when Miles Brennan went down, who a lot of people were really high on Miles Brennan. And it was thought this is going to be a big QB battle. And then Miles Brennan ends up getting hurt in a fishing accident. And now this is Max Johnson's team. And this is this is his team. This is the guy who's going to be running this, the, you know, this whole squad for them. And I believe he is a special talent. He was a very highly regarded recruit, son of a Super Bowl quarterback. And I like LSU's roster a little bit better. So I'm going to pick LSU as the team. And I think LSU is going to disrupt them. But, and this is a massive but, there is something that can derail this LSU team. And it has nothing to do with the team or anything that's going on on the field. I think most people have forgotten about the story, the USA Today stories from last year involving the negligence on the athletic department's part and Coach O's part as well when it came to reporting sexual assault allegations against Darius Geis. The more that that story has been forgotten, the more of a bombshell it's going to be when the final shoe drops. And the other shoe is, has not dropped yet. That is That story is not going away. Hell, we just saw that the Baylor thing from Art Bryles just got finished up two weeks ago. So... There is more to come with this. And when that other shoe falls, we're not sure. But if it happens during football season, it will crater whatever this team is building to that point. So something to keep an eye on. And uh, the SEC, as always, is going to be absolutely fascinating. Before we take a break and switch to the Big 12 and wrap up kind of this first part of our college football preview, I want to ask you both, who is the A, quarterback, and be just player in the SEC that you are most excited to to watch, right? And I guess it could be one, both, but I'm, I'm going to push you guys. I want one of each. Give me a quarterback you're most excited to watch and give me the player that you're most excited about here heading into 2021 that's in on any team in the SEC. You know, I'm going to start with um, my, my favorite player, and I, I switched it up. I, I actually – this is a great name too – but uh, Quincy McKinstry, he's a cornerback. He's going to be a freshman, um, and he goes by Kool-Aid on the official team roster. 
which he just signed a deal with Kool-Aid. Yeah, dude, Bama cornerback, five-star in that defense. I think he's a guy to watch out for. I love seeing Bama turn out elite corners. Uh, and then on the offensive side, you know what? I'm going to, I'm actually just going to, I'm going to stay at Bama and say Bryce Young is the guy I'm most excited to see how he does because there are no excuses at Bama. You have everything that you could want. So you have every opportunity and you have all the supporting cast you need. You have to be a leader to make it there. Um, and that's what it's more about leading the team to wins than being the best thrower of a football. And I'm excited to see how he fits that mold and, and what's going to happen there down in Tuscaloosa. Oh, Scotty muted himself. All right, Let's everyone listening, oh. boo, give a quick boo for Scotty for not muting him. Yeah, boo. 13. Yeah, yeah <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, so, quarterback, I've already spoken highly of JT Daniels. I think he's going to be a legit Heisman quarterback, uh, Heisman contender. But uh, the guy I'm more excited about is uh, is Matt Corral. Um, you dick. With Ole Miss. <laughs> uh, uh, just, just a lay. He's I, another another Heisman candidate. Uh, I think. Um, just excited to see him play. Uh, he's a guy who I think can throw a wrench into that whole SEC West conversation. Uh, with games against uh, you know the guys we've been talking about LSU, Alabama, and uh, Texas A and M. Um. The other offensive player I'm excited about is uh, is Eric Gilbert, the tight end from Georgia. He was a, a transfer from LSU, five star recruit. At, he got kicked off of Georgia last week. Oh, nuts! Well, there goes. There, that he's one. been on. He's been on three different SEC teams already. Unbelievable! LSU, wow. Florida, and Georgia, and he's played in I think five games. I was about to call him the next Kyle wow. Pitts, but uh, wow. Uh, oh, geez, the name. We're going to have a hard time pronouncing the name. Oh, boy. Uh, a linebacker out of Alabama, Henry Tolo 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 Tolo. There you go. You got uh, it. Have you paid uh, your Tolo when you crossed the bridge? Uh, Henry Tolo Tolo. Uh, he's a transfer uh, from from Alabama or to Alabama and uh, is, is going to plug a lot of holes that uh, that they left wide open after that NFL draft uh, on that linebacking core for Alabama, big linebacker guy, LBU Penn state. So uh, give me, give me Henry Tolo Tolo as uh, as my other favorite player. And that he's going to be absolutely fascinating to watch mainly because, you know, he was part of the Jeremy Pruitt, you know, Mc, literal McDonald's bag full of cash scandal uh, and Alabama just talking about the rich getting Richards, the rich getting Richards, rich getting richer and uh, no, I, I, he's going to be really, really fun transfer portal. That's a whole, that's a whole nother thing we forgot to talk about at the top of the show, by the way, the one-time transfer rule getting solidified. Um, so I was also going to say Matt Corral. I think Matt Corral ends up being a, by the time the draft comes around next year, I think he's not only going to lead the sec in, in passing. I think he might lead the country in passing in that offense with Ooh. Lane Kiffin. Uh, I think Matt Corral is going to probably end up being a top 10 pick in the draft next year. Um, he's, Mahomesian in some of the things he can do. He's actually a better runner. Um, very quick twitch. Dude, I mean, he, he threw for 3,300 yards, 29 touchdowns last year. Ran for 500, 506 yards as well and four touchdowns. And that was in not a full season. 
right? That was in a conference only schedule. Matt Corral is going to have a massive year. Um, they are returning new wide receivers, but he is also my quarterback. But I'll throw one other name in there for you guys to pay attention to. Uh, and it's Emory Jones, who is the quarterback at Florida. Uh, we talked about a little bit earlier. They're playing Alabama in week, uh, week three or week four. And he's a mobile guy. He was kind of like the dual threat quarterback that would kind of sometimes play like a wildcat for Florida last year when Kyle Trask was in. We've seen him there for a while, and I think Emory Jones could be good. I, I mentioned Max Johnson. I'm really excited about. And the kid from Missouri, Connor, Connor Bazelek, is the other one who uh, – it would be pretty out of left field, but that Missouri team last year was not great, and I think they'll be better this year. When it comes to skill position guys or just non-quarterbacks, I'm going to give you a name to watch at running back. Might be the most electric player in the country. Isaiah Spiller, running back at Texas A&M. Um, he could easily walk away as the next first round draft drafted running back. He is that explosive. Uh, he, he's a guy who can literally do everything. He's kind of like a hybrid between Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, right? Like he's not built like Najee Harris, but can do all of the same things, but he's also bigger, stronger, a little more filled out than Travis Etienne was can run between the tackles really well. I would expect him to have a monster year at Texas A&M behind a very, very good, um, offensive line i'll throw john john mechie in there from alabama as your other one all right that is a rough kind of basic but look we're only talking about the big boys in the sec no point in talking about vanderbilt no offense to any of the commodore fans that we got listening to this jay cutler out there listening you know yeah jay jay cutler should should focus on some other things before listening to our podcast sarah Um, fuller i mean come on We'll uh, we'll take a quick break and uh, we'll come back here. We're, we'll tackle the Big 12 as it's currently constructed and not what we expect here moving forward. The Big 12 will still be in existence now for at least this season and maybe another one, but there's going to be a whole lot that changes between now and then. Uh, but for, for 2021, this is the Big 12 that we all know. Uh, that some people love. I've always had a kind of a soft spot for the Big 12. Uh, I, I loved the electric offense, the lack of defense, but in the last couple of years, the defense has kind of caught up to it, and they're not quite that same old Big 12 air raid offense that they aren't. It's very funny to me that the Big 12 is kind of going to end up, they're not being disbanded, but that the Big 12 might end up changing uh, their format or maybe not existing in the future. And yet they're the conference that revolutionized college football. If it's not for the air raid and the spread offense and everything that was so integral to what the big 12 did, you know, if, if Oklahoma state and Texas saying or Texas tech and, and these schools and in, in the big 12 weren't getting the best wide receiver recruits, Nick Saban wouldn't have changed his offense. You know, wouldn't have changed and hired the Steve Sarkeesians and now the Bill O'Brien, right? You know, all these guys. Um, And it's kind of a bummer that, you know, we may not get to see them. But for this year, we're going to appreciate them. And it's a pretty interesting, uh, you know, division because – or conference, I should say. Because Oklahoma is the preseason number one team uh, to, to many, many people. They are loaded on both sides of the ball. They have universally accepted the best quarterback in college football. Um, And they have a loaded skill position, guys. They have continued to turn out top-tier offensive linemen year after year. 
They have one of the best head coaches and most creative offensive minds in all of football at any level in Lincoln Riley. So we're going to start with the Oklahoma Sooners while they're still in the Big 12. What is your expectation in 2021 for the Sooners? Is this the year that they give the Big 12 their first ever college football playoff win? I think it is. I'm very high in Oklahoma. I'm, I'm an Oklahoma fan, though. What are you going to do? Um, partially. Shout out Grant. But uh, Shout out like, Grant. Is he a fan they, of the pod, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. I Has he listened? Get, uh, Grant Calcaterra. Shout out. Yeah. We got to get him He's on the pod. Listened. Grant, we if you're should. listening, Only... come on to the pod. We'd love to talk to you. That'd be dope. That'd be dope. Uh, yeah, no. So obviously like huge Oklahoma fan, but just seeing how that program is running, you're right. Like Lincoln Riley and his offenses, you just can't bet against that. Like no matter what quarterback we've seen, no matter what skill position players, they're all awesome. And he finds a way to make it work every time. And it's just exciting. Um, I love him as a coach. That defense is talented. I know, I know they always, it's a big 12 defense. Some years they give up a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of yards, but I will say this, like some of those players, they've had some great recruits. And I think some of their best defensive players who have come out and really turned out are getting to their third and fourth seasons. And also the, they keep reloading, right? They're a team that reloads like Ohio state, Bama. They're that kind of team. So in my mind, they're, they're winning this conference. They, they always seem to, and uh, you know, I, I'm sticking with them. And I do think that they end up getting a win in the playoffs. Make it happen. Why not? Yeah, I, the, again, the schedule lines up really favorably for a team that is as talented and as well coached as Oklahoma is. Um, of course, the Red River, Red River, say that six times fast. Red River rivalry yeesh, is uh, Saturday, October 9th, um, neutral site, I believe. But that to me looks like the toughest game on the schedule. Uh, say for, uh, well, we don't know what Iowa State's going to be. Right now they're in the inside the top 10, but um, <clears throat> that game comes late for, for Oklahoma uh, end of November. So, um, you know, I, I just – I don't see any anyone in that conference with the talent level, uh, with the coaching uh, that, that Oklahoma has. The only – Issue I can see, and you know, like I said, their talent is still above and beyond everyone else. But they've only been ten and twelve uh, in in the last two years, respectively, in recruiting. Um, but again, like you, you nailed it, Vito. Lincoln Riley finds a way, and he's very like Saban esque in that way. Is that uh, you know maybe the the rankings come out when when all is said and done in recruiting, and you don't have as many five stars. But here's a guy in Lincoln Riley who can turn out guys. Um, uh, in droves and, and just be like star talented players uh, across the board uh, and on both sides of the ball. So uh, I, I don't see any, any other speed bumps or, or uh, roadblocks for, for Oklahoma other than those two games, Texas and, and uh, Iowa state who I think everybody or most people are predicting to be the top three in some order uh, of the, of the big 12. I agree with both of you guys. Uh, I think Oklahoma is the best team in the Big 12. I think they have the best roster in the Big 12. I think they have the best coach in the Big 12. But here's the thing. We talked about this a little bit in, while we took a break there. Every team in the Big 12 wants to destroy Oklahoma and Texas. I promise yeah. you, if there was a horns-down equivalent for Oklahoma, 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 I'm like 
becoming like Oklahoma as we're doing this podcast. They will, they would do it. Like every one of these kids is going to want to beat the absolute snot out of all of the, everyone on Oklahoma and Texas, you know, what Neil Brown, and this is the thing about the big 12 that really bums me out about the, the direction of where we're going with college football. Neil Brown. I love head coach at West Virginia, Chris Kleiman, head coach at Kansas state. I love uh, TCU, Gary Patterson. I love Lance Leipold, new head coach at Kansas. I love, uh, Iowa State, Matt Campbell, my favorite coach in all of college football. I love Mike Gundy, despite him wearing an OAN shirt. I still love, even though he cut off the mullet. And Dave Aranda, head coach at Baylor. I love Matt Wells at Texas Tech. Yeah, we'll see what ends up happening with him. But I like literally every coach in this conference. And they will find a way to get the most out of these players. Like These are all coaches I was expecting to kind of move on to maybe Big Ten, maybe SEC jobs down the line because they're all really young or really well-established in the case of guys like Gary Patterson. So they're going to get these guys to a level of competitiveness where I think they're really going to challenge Oklahoma and Texas every single week. We talked about it last week. We were talking about Tampa Bay coming back this year, right, and having the target on your back every single week as the returning champion. And I think Oklahoma and Texas have targets on their back every single week. Now, that's not to say that they're not going to be able to get through it, but it means that they're going to get the best from everybody here. Not to mention, Oklahoma has owned the Big 12 for the best part, the better part of a decade, right? With the exception of the Art Bryles, Baylor teams, this has been Oklahoma's conference, especially since Lincoln Riley's gotten there. So Nebraska, their their hardest out-of-conference game, I'm not worried about that. Nebraska, I mean, they're a dumpster fire. We'll get to that when we talk about it later in the week. I think Oklahoma is going to have a couple of casualties, but the team I'm most excited about here in the big 12, and this is where I want to turn our attention to is Iowa state. Now at the end of the day, I do think Oklahoma wins the overall conference. And I do think that Oklahoma gets to the college football playoff, but Iowa state is the team that I'm pulling for harder than any other team in college football. You have to understand the history behind Iowa state. Iowa State is historically one of the three worst Power Five programs in the history of college football. They had not won a conference title since the 1920s before they were they won it last. Well, they didn't even win it, but before they were in it last year, regular season, they lost the conference championship. That's how long it had been for Iowa State. And now Matt Campbell, this gung-ho startup guy, had gotten interviews and offers for every major job in the country that was available last year, decided, no, I'm staying and continuing to build what I built at Iowa State. Because he looks at Iowa State and see it says, see what Dabo did in Clemson? I'm going to do that in the Midwest. I'm going to do that here. We have something special here, and we're going to run it. And now that the Big 12 is probably destroyed, he's probably going to leave at the end of the season. And I hope he doesn't. I hope he decides to say. But Iowa State, Brock Purdy coming back, Brees Hall, the nation's best running back, one of the best running backs a year ago, will is the favorite to win this year. They're returning 21 of 22 starters from a team that already was one possession away from beating Oklahoma twice. Yeah, and, and it's not just him, too. Like, like you said, Brees Hall, but they have that tight end, Charlie Kolar. He's, mm-hmm. he, they're both They are both first-team All-Americans. So, like, you're right. They have some talent there. You know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. 
they had the most skill position first team yeah Yeah. all americans that's all americans so do you think that they're rightfully in the top 10 of preseason just based on the what they're bringing back yeah they were top they were yeah but i feel like there's a lot of this like yeah, but there's a lot of this, like, uh, like 2020, like Coastal Carolina's in the top 25. Like, eh, are they going to be there at the end of the year? Uh, probably not. Uh, but, like, if is they Iowa State's even more justified? If Iowa State hadn't lost, and I get it, you have to win, right? You have to win. They go one-on-one against Oklahoma, and they lost to Louisiana week one. And Louisiana's a top 25 team heading into the season now, and Billy Napier has that program, group of five. They're one of the best group of five teams in the country. But Iowa State, like, they were only a possession away from beating both uh, Billy Napier and Louisiana and from beating Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma twice. And if they had found a way to do that, they would have been undefeated and the Big 12 champs beating Lincoln Riley twice. And they're returning 21 of 22 starters. So, yes, it's a fair question, Scott. Like, I'm not trying to diminish the question by any means. No, no, no. But I do think... Because I've heard that question raised a lot, and a lot of people think that they are overrated. This is this is not a fluke. And Matt Campbell is a uniquely special. Like, if I could hire anybody for the next 15 years to run my college football team, Matt Campbell would be in the top two or three guys. I think Ryan. Wow. I think Ryan, because it's part of what makes Dabo so great. Dabo took a program when he was a wide receivers coach and took a program whose name was literally used as a verb that meant screwing up. Clemsoning was a thing. Oh, you really Clemsoned that. It's like the episode of The Office when Andy tries to start the, you know, oh, you really shrewded it, you know, about about Dwight. So (laughs) you really shrewded that. Like, that was Clemson. And now we think of Clemson as one of the premier programs in college football. Matt Campbell is starting to do the same thing with Iowa State, which is even – you know, Clemson at least had a national championship on the resume. Iowa State is has been Kansas, but for literally a hundred years, and yet he got them to where they got last year. And yeah, great basketball school. Nothing against Ryan Day, but like taking the reins from Urban Meyer is a lot easier than building a program from the ground up like Matt Campbell did. And I, Ryan Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley would be the other two names on my list. That's but what Matt, I was thinking. Yeah. Matt Campbell deserves to be in that conversation. And many no, people would many people would disagree with me, and that's fine. I, but. I I think that I think he's maybe in the top like ten, to say top three. I don't know, but but that's just my take. I'm just thinking of some other guys I'd still even grab from like assistant in some other places. But at the end of the day, what's great about this stuff, and we were talking about this a little bit before, but this is how you find out about a coach and watch him and watch his team and, and what he does before he gets to the next big job. Like these are what's exciting to follow guys like this right now, before he goes to a USC or if he stays and makes the program. Right. But eventually all good things come to an end and he will move on eventually. So your team could have this guy at some point, even if you're not an Iowa state fan, that's why it's so fun in the realm of sports to see guys come up like this, both players and coaches. And I was really concerned when I saw this about like my, my first, I think I even said this Scotty or Vito, when you and I did the pod together, the day that the Texas and Oklahoma thing got announced, because my first thought was Iowa state because I loved, I love that story so much. And I love Matt Campbell that much and hearing him talk at big 12 media days, like, and I get it. Like sometimes there's coach speak and sometimes you got to think, Hey, is this guy just playing me? Is this guy just an actor? 
everything out of that man's that man's mouth is genuine and and i wholeheartedly believe that and i've listened to more coaches interviews than 99 of the public combined because of my job and i believe that man is every word he says i buy in and the fact that if oklahoma and texas didn't decide to leave the big 12 i don't think matt campbell would consider leaving I genuinely don't. I think he would have stayed in the Big 12. And now he probably will leave. And that's a bummer to me. Now, he signed an extension, but in college football, that means absolutely nothing. You can Coaches mm-hmm. can leave and go whatever. But he did sign an extension this offseason. And maybe, you know, conference ends up getting split up. You know, maybe Pac- the Pac-12 reaches out. Maybe the Big 10 reaches out, right? How cool would it be to have Iowa and Iowa State both in the Big 10? That would be great. But there's also going to be this argument of, hey, the academic side of it, right? Because the Big Ten likes to flaunt their nose at everybody else and say, hey, we're this higher academic standard than every other, the power five. They they do. They do. I know. But I just like the standard to me is just ridiculous. Like everybody claims that. And then we have a Ohio State in the the conference, for Christ's sake. And then the ACC also claims that. And they they hold on to Miami. And it's just like, come on, guys. Do you know what? what are we? Do you know what the thing is with them, Scott? And this is actually a legitimate thing. Do you know what the AAU is? Yes. Yeah. It's the, the reason that we're not going to take schools like Iowa State and Kansas into the Big Ten. I believe um, it's it stands for the Allegiance of American Universities. I could be wrong with the Allegiance part. Yeah. But essentially, it is like a club of schools who think that they're just way smarter than everybody else. And to be fair, when you look at the list, it's, it's, it's fair. Like It's all really, really smart schools. But the Big Ten is every school is is in the aau and so if you're not in there the big 10 would basically have to completely shift their whole thing which from a public perception and kevin warren who actually liked despite the fact that a lot of people don't like kevin warren based off of his first year um i i I get why it's a hard thing to do publicly but i just think iowa state would be fantastic in the big 10 i think it would be really really cool but also I, i can see iowa putting up a, you know, but then again, like Texas A&M couldn't stand a chance against saying no, even though like we had the Texas A&M athletic director on our show and he very, very clearly was sending signals because he asked to come onto our show because he knew our host and he was very clearly sending signals being like, we were not cool with this Texas thing. Didn't mean shit. Eventually Texas still is going to end up joining the sec. So maybe something yeah. similar happens with Matt Campbell and Iowa state. Um, the next thing in the big 12, I want to get to Texas. You know, eyes of Texas, biggest brand in college football. Somehow, okay, cool, hook them. For as as bad as that era ended for Tom Herman, still one of the coolest back and forths of all time. When Zach Smith, who was the the scumbag, the assistant coach for Ohio State, was texting Tom Herman like, I'm going to bring you down. I have all this dirt on you, blah, blah, blah. And he just responded, okay, cool, hook them with the emoji of the the horns (laughs) up. That was – that was a baller move. That's um, awesome. Texas has a new head coach, someone who I particularly like in Steve Sarkeesian. And I'll leave this a little open-ended for you guys. I'm just curious, what do you guys think we'll see in year one in the Steve Sarkeesian era at Texas? I think we'll see some offense. I think like that's the good part is you're bringing in Sark. You're, you're getting a great offensive coach. So Complex um, offense too. 
I'm I'm really excited to see the stages of what their team's going to build. I I do think he's the right coach. He's coached at USC before. He's coached at a big program, so at least he knows a little bit more about what to expect in terms of the boosters and everything extra that it's like so much more prevalent at a school like that. So I think that's good in terms of the history um, that he has. I think he's learned from some of the mistakes he's made. I'm pretty stoked to see him get this shot. I also um, don't think. How do you put it? Texas always recruits well, even when they're they're down. And and it doesn't matter that they haven't won that much. And my favorite thing I keep that my brain keeps going back to is I don't know if you guys saw the video that went viral of like their uh, athletic director is in the hearing and the judge is asking him about like how much Texas makes as a as a like program. And he they state some number and he's like, that's about the ballpark. Yeah. And then she's just like even though you've lost all these games, like you're not even like, and I don't think she was meaning to do it, but she's like, how are you worth so much when you guys are consistently mediocre? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it was just like, and the athletic director sitting there just so embarrassed. And he's like, we are not, uh, I think he said something around the lines of like, we have not won as much as we would like to. Yes. Or something like that or Texas standard. But I do think Stark will at least get him going back towards that direction. That's what I think. Chris Del Conte, one of a kind, the athletic director at Texas. Yeah, I think that they're they're certainly talented. They've and you can see in the recruiting trends, they've gone from fifteenth um, in in twenty twenty one for that recruiting class that's coming in this year to uh, eleven this year, <clears throat> or uh, for next year in twenty twenty two. And I expect them to be higher by all accounts. Um, Arch Manning is probably going to end up there, um, who's probably one of the greatest high school quarterbacks I've ever seen throw a ball. So. Um, I, I don't know if, if they have enough talent yet. And, and again, we talk about it with, with a lot of these college programs is getting their guys. Um, what's that window look like? And so uh, I think the trend that they're on, Sarkeesian getting his guys uh, on that team will be, uh, they'll be all the better for it. But I, I just don't know that there's enough there right now and, and enough chemistry there right now between the coaching staff and the, and the players, but uh, it could be a, uh, a building year uh, and weirdly also a turning point, um, particularly as they move to the, to the SEC, their schedule is again, favorable. They're, they're supposed to be one of the best three teams in the, in the big 12. Um, you know, that came in, against Oklahoma in the, in the middle of October, which I alluded to, but then two weeks, three weeks later, they play uh, Iowa state. Um, and then they've got two, what I think are probably challenging games in between that and Oklahoma state and at Baylor. So um, that could be a stretch where, where you might see them trip up. And then they also have a tough opener against uh, uh, Louisiana at the beginning of the year. So, um, you know, and they're no slouch, I don't think so. Um, you know, it could be it could be a more difficult year uh, with a lot more growing pains than than Texas fans think. Uh, it's not going to all change overnight with uh, with Sarkeesian. So, um, you know, plenty of bright future ahead, I think, um, and they'll be back at that level, I think, uh, just based on on the moves they made in the last year. But I don't see it this year. So I I agree uh, in terms of the outcomes with both you guys. Like I th- I don't think they're going to be great. I don't even think they're going to end up being a top three team i mean if they really overachieved then they would finish third in the big 12 but i'm more interested in how they look week one because i and look you can't surmise too much from what you see in week one 
But I look at what they've, you know, let's take a minute to look at what Steve Sarkeesian's track has been, right? Sark was the head coach at Washington before Chris Peterson, who Chris Peterson's a great coach, recently uh, retired, well, retired from coaching, at least stepped down from Washington. He's now going to be an analyst with uh, Fox Sports. So he was at Washington, got Washington to multiple double-digit wins. Then he takes over the job at USC. He has to step down from USC because of addiction issues, essentially. He had battled alcoholism uh, as well as some other addiction problems, some other demons of his own, and and took time away from the game. Um, When he resurfaced, he was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta. Uh, He spent time working on multiple NFL staffs. And then he goes to the Saban School of Coaching, right? The, the Coaching Rehabilitation Center, essentially, which is that every former Power Five head coach who doesn't work well ends up going back to Nick Saban to learn how he runs his program while Nick Saban also sucks the knowledge and everything else out of him as an analyst. He works his way up to be the offensive coordinator after Lane Kiffin leaves and goes on to help lead to multiple uh, college football playoff experiences a national championship last year albeit with an absolutely loaded group and now he's going to be able to take on what is arguably and in my opinion the hardest job in america being the head coach at texas given his story it is almost impossible not to root for the guy um he was an asshole when he was at washington and when he was at usc the media didn't like him and one of the most telling things I ever, I've heard a coach say publicly was during Big 12 Media Days when he was talking with our hosts. He talked about all of the downfalls and all of the things that were wrong about his first two head coaching stints. And the first thing he said was, my mindset was about me. Everything when I was at Washington USC was about me. What I did, I was the reason we were winning. I was the reason that play worked. None of it was about the kids. None of it was about the players. And he just flat out openly said that. And it blew my mind because, yeah, we all probably could have assumed that based off of everything we kind of knew young head coaches. I think Lane Kiffin's gone through a similar route. But to openly say that speaks volumes about where he's at in terms of his personal development of himself and the way he views this job. The way he handled yeah. go ahead. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I just think that's incredible. You're right. Like for, for a guy to say that, first of all, you know, he doesn't think that way anymore because he's admitting he did. So that's huge. And also like, it must've been so, so tough to come to that because you gotta remember, I, 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 I want to say what they were in Phoenix or somewhere they, like he got fired in the airport basically. Mm-hmm. Like it was not good. It was one of the most rough scenarios that we had seen a coach get fired in, in a long time. And you're right. He did go around that track. And, and I'm glad you went through that whole coaching, you know, progression that he went on because it was a carousel and he, he, without a doubt, um, must've picked a lot up. It must've changed a lot. And it's good to hear that, you know? Yeah. That, the yeah. That's quite a journey. I, right. Yeah. I remember being on the, on the, well, Vito, you too, <clears throat> we were living on the West coast uh, primarily when, when he was out in Washington and USC. So we'd get a lot of, of, uh, of FaceTime with him, at least on oh, TV. Yeah. And it was just oh, I know. Don't worry. Like, these East Coast kids and the East Coast bias, everyone knows yeah. about it. So we, we know those, Scott. <laughs> West Side represent. But, we'll tackle that yeah, on, the, on Friday's pod when we go to the Pac-12. <laughs> there we go. Uh, yeah, for, for my family listening, the overrated Pac-12 always. Um, anyway, 
as so many Christmas debates about this. It's not even funny, like literally every year. Anyway, uh, but seeing him and knowing where he was with with that much depth and breadth of knowledge that that at least you you and I have, I think, Vito, is it's incredible to see that that personal growth and transformation. So, yeah, I'm rooting for the guy. Um, I don't even like Oklahoma. Go, go horns, hook them. <laughs> so I, I, I lay all Sorry, that Grant. out. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I lay all that out to say that I am rooting for for Steve Sarkeesian to do well. Um, the way that guys like Devontae Smith and Mac Jones and Tua and these other guys talked about him when he was the offensive coordinator at Alabama, you know, there, there's concrete proof that this isn't just coach speak. You know that this is a coach. This is a guy who has battled demons throughout his life and has ultimately come to a place of like legitimate self growth, legitimate, like, Hey, like he had the self-awareness, uh, although it was kind of thrust on him by his own actions, but he has the self-awareness to also admit it publicly. And I think one of the things that was telling in that interview, listening to him talk was talking about the way that the players bought in and essentially putting the onus on the players to buy in, to be, you know, excited to, to, to say that, you know, he walked in and said, this is your team. I'm just, I'm here to call plays. I'm here to help lead you to an extent that I can, but this is your team. This isn't my team. This is your team. And that emphasis is huge. And so I'm excited for that week one game against Louisiana to go back to kind of how I started with this, because I want to see how that translates because to what, to your point, Scotty and, and Vito, you alluded to it earlier as well. They always recruit at a high level. They're mm-hmm. Texas. They're, they're kids who always want to go play for Texas every single year. So there are, there are guys there. there are, it's not as loaded, yeah, I want as, Al- <laughs> not as, loaded as Alabama or the, all these other places. You're right, Scotty. I want to go play for them too. Um, but I, I look at what Steve Sarkeesian is, is his approach to this, and I, and I want the dude to do well. And how they look in week one is going to be very telling. Because you can tell right away, especially against a formidable opponent in Louisiana, like we're, we're talking about, like the Raging Cajuns are, are no slouch. Like these guys are going to come out and, and play hard. Yeah. In that first They're a good game. team. They're and a good team. I, I, that is going to be, I think, and again, we'll have a whole season. And after the year ends, we'll be able to look back and dissect how the season goes. But I think we'll be able to tell a lot about how the Steve Sarkeesian era looks and how it's different from USC and Washington in week one, because he has all the football brilliance in the world, but coaching is not about that. Coaching is about being authentic with your players, connecting with your players, being genuine with them. And ultimately, especially in college, getting the most out of it for them, not necessarily for yourself. And I think Steve Sarkeesian has learned that uh, Mark Um, last thing. Last thing I want to, I want to say this uh, here before I have one final question for you guys that is not, necessarily college football related little random little life thing here. We're going to throw in at the end, but I have not prepped you guys on it either. Um, who's just name a, a, just pick a player in the big 12, because look, there's a lot of things we can go into here. And yes, we focused on Iowa state, Oklahoma, and Texas. Cause I think those are the three biggest teams to focus on the big 12, but there's a lot of different players here in the big 12 that I think 
could be in store for really impressive or at least interesting seasons. I think Oklahoma State is going to be really good this year. It's rare to see Mike Gundy have back-to-back rough years throughout his time. Um, I, like I said, I love all of the coaches basically in the Big 12. Yeah. I think they're all really good coaches. Uh, so if there's a coach, a player, or if there's somebody in the Big 12, a storyline in the Big 12 that we haven't touched on that you guys want to bring up, I want to give you guys the opportunity to, you know, just bring it up. Let's talk about it. Let's hash it out because those are the big three right now, but there's other things we can get into. Yeah. I, I think for me, it's, it's two players. It's a combination between Spencer Rattler um, and Marvin Mims, Marvin Mims. He was a freshman last year. He scored nine touchdowns. On, it was like under 40 receptions. I think it was like 37. So he, he is just an incredible wide receiver. And I think Rattler has a good chance to win the Heisman. He's definitely going to be in the conversation. So that, that duo is going to light it up. Um, it could be, you know, one of the best connections in college football. It probably will be my favorite like connection in college football between two players. So I'm really excited to see what that looks like. Um, and, and I think that's going to be like the focal point of why I will end up watching Oklahoma is just to see those two guys play ball. Yeah. And I think, uh, there's two for me. Uh, if we want to talk about a player, I'm going to go with, uh, it's a safety out of Texas. Uh, JD coffee, the third transfer. Uh, I'm sorry. He's a freshman, true freshman. Um, but it's DBU. Right. And, uh, and Sarkeesian staff is, is LSU. more than willing to. Well, okay. Um, play NC two a Oh seven and tell me I'm wrong. Anyway, uh, DBU. <laughs> Let's go uh, back to 2007. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no so uh so this kid jd coffee the third trained with uh with buddha baker in the off season um and i mean what what better he came from washington uh the state of washington so uh what better way to to learn from one of the the greatest defensive backs in the nfl um than buddha baker so a player to watch jd coffee the third true freshman um will probably be an impact player at safety for, uh, for the Longhorns. Um, and I think if you want to talk about um, underrated players, it's uh, or underrated teams, I'd, I'd go TCU. Uh, TCU continues to, to build talent. Uh, they recruit well under Gary Patterson. And again, one of the greatest coaches I've ever seen uh, roaming the sidelines on a college football team. So never, I would never count out Gary Patterson, Gary Patterson. So uh um, yeah, another interesting storyline for me, the transfer QB at, uh, at Texas Tech is uh, Tyler Shell, who came from uh, Oregon. Oregon uh, he was, yeah. Penn State was one of the finalists there uh, for him, but uh, chose Texas Tech instead. So looking to, to see him do uh, run and gun in that, uh, in that Big 12, as, uh, as most quarterbacks do. So there, I love that, by the way. Gary Patterson is, is going to lead into one of the guys I have kind of written down of these, you know, under the radar storylines. Um, the running backs in the Big 12 are, are spectacular this year. Um, I, want, I want to start with Deuce Vaughn, running back at, at Kansas State. Really exciting. Letty Brown, running back at West Virginia. I think both of them have, you know, 1,000-yard potential this season. Um, but the top two guys are both from the teams we – we talked about Bijan Robinson running back out of Texas, I think is going to be in store for a really good season. I think he's going to turn some heads, uh, especially at the NFL level, uh, you know, averaged 8.2 yards per carry last year Woo! And, and finished with 703 yards. So he's going to take on a big role now. And then Brees Hall, you know, Brees Hall, 
uh, running back of the year last year. You know, he was up there statistically with Najee Harris, and he's doing that playing at Iowa State. So those guys all keep, keep an eye on all the running backs basically coming out of the Big 12. Um, but to your Gary Patterson point, I want to talk about Max Dugan, who is a quarterback who uh, took over as a true freshman, had some rough up and down moments. Um, but last year really stepped in and, and frankly had basically every time he was building up, something would happen. There'd be an injury for him. Uh, he had a COVID situation last year. He had injuries on his offensive line. That TCU roster was decimated with COVID a couple of times last year. So Max Duggan, I think, is a name who you know we'll talk about this year as a guy who could potentially be like a second or third round pick as a quarterback in the NFL. So, so keep your eyes out there. Um, and then I guess the team to watch for me is going to be Neil Brown's West Virginia Mountaineers. Uh, I, I believe in Neil Brown. I think he's one of the most underrated young coaches in college football. Uh, and that program, you know, not a lot of people know this. West Virginia is like top 10 all time in total in wins in college football history. Uh, they're, they're a storied program. They've won several national championships. So it's been a long time. Uh, and Neil Brown has fully embraced the challenge of being the West Virginia head coach. So I, I like Neil Brown. They've overhauled their, all of their amenities um, I think they're the most valuable team left in the big 12 when you're talking about, Hey, could they, you know, could the ACC poach them? Uh, big could, 10. The, could the big 10 poach them? Right. I think West Virginia is, is the clear cut number one team there. Um, you know, especially what they have on the basketball side, but you know, I, I try not to value because honestly in these major conference realignments of basketball, it just doesn't matter as much as that's sad to say. Um, so yeah, that's, that is our, again, like our rough preview. We weren't going to go through every single team because go through every single team in the power five, but it's just been way too much for us. Um, but I think there's a lot to go there. Uh, last thing I want to get on here. We're all alcohol guys, right? We all like to drink. Oh yes. Too most much definitely. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good time. You know, you know, sip, sip on I, a cold, a cold beverage. Now and again, I enjoy refreshments. What? Yeah, I'm a refreshment guy. We we may or may not usually have at least one beverage throughout the taping of a podcast. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Scotty's finishing a, a cold, hard, uh, whatever beverage wants to sponsor the podcast. Um, Colorado Kool-Aid. How do you guys feel about seltzers? Have you become seltzers guys in the wave you know of the last couple of years? I'm oh, glad we're, we're bringing this up because this needs to be talked about. We need to all get together and figure out what the hell is acceptable or not. Because I got to say, I, guys, I was so against them. I had a few. They're not bad, but they're because they're not as sugary as a mixed drink, right? That, that'll that get you. That'll earn you a hangover. But I just, the problem is I just have such a, a loving relationship with just Bud Light. Like just a straight up light beer, love them. So in my mind, if there's an option between the two, I'm always going beer. But in the last, like over this summer is when I, I've like honestly had my first one and I had like a few when I was required to, right. It was only drink left at like a beach or whatever, but it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was, but like, I still don't like, there's something about it. I just don't want to drink it. Does that mm. make sense? Not to me. Yeah, it does. I, I get what you're saying. Like, it it's does not a me. mixed drink, but it's just not like beer, I guess is what I'm saying. My mouth doesn't know what to do. It's like, whoa, let's drink the other thing. <laughs> Scott, you and you, I, Scott? do you drink? Well, Scott, do you drink you, them? 
Scotty, you and I have had conversations about seltzers in the past. I, I think you and I are both more pro seltzer than Vito, right? Oh yeah. Um, I was, I was very hesitant to try them. Uh, my wife song loves them. Um, of course, most of the girls in our friend group do, but, um, <clears throat> I, I, I'm not opposed as, as Vito is. And I I've gotten over the, the getting used to it, getting your palate used to it sort of thing. I'm a beer guy like Vito. Uh, I drink, uh, a particular lager from, uh, Southeastern Pennsylvania religiously. Um, and, uh, sometimes light, I'm trying to watch my figure, but the seltzers, um, some of them it's hit or miss. Some of them I really, really like some of them. I don't like at all. Uh, there's some of the blueberry ones. I feel like I'm, I'm drinking a, a blueberry pancake in liquid form, but I, some of the flavors I like, I just had one from, from, uh, a certain, uh, a particular brand recently that was a mango pineapple and it was delicious. I, I mean, say, absolutely busy. Oh, yeah. Busy oh, crushes. Good Lord. Uh, that was really, really good. I'm not here for the teas and the lemonades. Those have too much like aspartame and I don't like that taste, but the, the seltzers, I can, I can mess with that. Um, you know, it's particularly if you're day drinking, uh, they're a little bit more refreshing to me than beer. Beer kind of weighs you down a little bit, but the seltzers are nice. Especially so, golf. Yeah, I like that. So so I, I love this because I think all three of us are on very different spectrums. I am yeah. I am so pro seltzer. Like so pro seltzer that I will take a seltzer over any light beer. Ooh. I will take a seltzer wow. over so o- over thing. a bold uh, over a Bud Light, over a Coors Light, over a Miller Light, because you know, like you said, Scotty, I'm, I'm worried about the figure a little bit, but they're also far more efficient. The carbonation makes the alcohol to it's your good. bloodstream process. It's similar to champagne where it's like, I only had like four glass, like three glasses of champagne. How am I already, how am I feeling like drunk, right? The carbonation has an effect on you. Seltzer has a similar, similar kind of buzz there. And so I've been riding the, the seltzer train hard and also if you want a little heavier bud light has the platinum seltzers that are like eight percent alcohol which you know those those they put you they put you on your butt yeah. a little bit you but know, that's they, bud they light platties I'd, I'd rather just have a bud light platy though yeah An og see, bud light platy i w- i would rather have the seltzer now here's here's the thing though. so is it a taste thing though like yeah, well, do you I like, just not I, like the taste I, of beer they're more refreshing like no no i love beer like i love beer but I, know, I but do don't you love the taste. I don't like, whoa, slow your roll, Scott. I fucking love beer. Okay. I don't, don't take that away from me. <laughs> I don't like light beer. Like if I'm going to have a beer, I That's want fair. it to be an IPA. I want it to be something heavier, like in the winter time, like a good, a good stout. I'm on, I, I, I enjoy, but I'm a big IPA guy. So, you know, the hazy IPAs, the juicy love IPAs, them. the, the fruity IPAs, too. the double IPAs All on board. I, all Triple, whatever i am all in on the ipa oh, stuff but the second <laughs> we're talking about light beer like bud light miller light like and again like if that's what's around that's what's offered to me i'm no problem putting on a miller light but if you're gonna give me the choice i'm gonna lean seltzer because i like the fruitiness i like the refreshingness they're delicious they're wonderful there's there's no there's, there's nothing, nothing wrong bad with to say yeah. about them right did you did you adjust to the taste like right away when you had one did you know like i i'm gonna drink these like i love these there was a part of me that felt 
emasculated, you know, and then I remembered, Hey, toxic masculinity. Oh, that's ridiculous. Don't, don't let yeah. it, don't let it ruin my life. If I like a fruity drink, exactly. I like a fruity drink. There's no, sh- no shame in that. You know, no. you know, I'm, I'm not one of those guys who's going to let my, you know, dumb brain be like, no, you shouldn't be drinking. It's not fucking give me a, give me a seltzer and I'm going to enjoy it. All right. However, something came across my timeline today that makes me think maybe we've gone too far. All right, now Bud Light Seltzers, there was a summer pack that was released and it was like blue raspberry and strawberry kiwi and had these things, right? And they looked good. They were like, oh, they're good. I didn't get a chance to try one, but they look good. Bud Light Seltzer is coming out with a fall flannel limited edition variety pack. Say pumpkin spice. I dare you. I dare you. <laughs> let, me read, oh let me read through what the, fo- now I'll say this, the marketing, the cans, they have flannel design on the cans. They look great. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. But but let me t- read you guys the flavors, okay? From best to worst. Don't do it. I care about you. Apple <laughs> apple crisp. Uh, all right. All right. Like like yeah. you think of like apple cider? I like a good apple cider drink. You know, there's a place down the road they do like a specialty yeah. one in the fall. It's like hot cider with like some alcohol we- poured in. It's good, but this is a seltzer version of it and you have you're going to have to drink it cold. But I think it would be pretty good. That's a little weird. Right, so we but used to do a moonshine down in North Carolina, by the oh, way, yeah, for, yeah. for our apple. There you go. Yeah, like but a good that a does good, sound pretty good. I've had that before. Like an apple cinnamon moonshine is yeah. actually delicious. Yeah. You gotta be careful. You, 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 you're careful. limited to one. You get like one sip, and then that's all you yeah. all you can handle because moonshine's a whole nother animal. Um, so I would say that's probably rank, ranked to number one, and that's in like a red and black flannel casing, you know, on the outside of the beer. Then we have Okay. Maple pear. Hmm. Oh boy. Intriguing. But again, this this isn't a mixed drink. This is a seltzer. And that just doesn't like, that's where I'm starting to go. Like I would try it, but I don't know. But also that sounds so heavy. Like you're right. Like I don't want something syrup flavored. That's a seltzer. And it's supposed to be light and refreshing. Like syrup and seltzer don't go together. They Mm. just don't. (laughs) No, they're, they're the opposite ends. All right, well then, and that's in like a green and brownish kind of flannel pattern. All right. These last two, though, I, I don't know which one sounds worse. Pumpkin spice. Of course. Has pumpkin to be. Pumpkin spice seltzer. Has to be. Which is a given. It's going to taste like a candle. And it's going to sell millions. It, that, that's in like an orange flannel kind of look. Y'all, this last one. I have to try it just to know how bad it is. Toasted marshmallow. See, I'm in on that. Huh. For some reason, like that's yeah. the one what? I want to try. It. Yeah. In a yeah. I like like marshmallow vodka. Yeah. Oh, what you like pinnacle whipped too? Dude, I've never had, I've never had marshmallow uh, in vodka. College, but... Maybe. Pinnacle whipped is the worst alcohol ever yeah, created. I didn't, I didn't even. I'm not that. disagreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, but I, I do think. For real, oh, I would want to try the, the the toasted one. I think that's for me like the number one thing I'd want to try. Uh, Nick, Nick, what if pumpkin you combine the, the pumpkin spice and the t- toasted marshmallow? That I might get on board with. But even so, this is a cold oh, a little Arnold Palmer action. I love that. You could call oh. the Jeff Gimple and it's your drink. It's half of the Bud Light Seltzer limited edition pumpkin spice and half the Bud Light limited edition toasted marshmallow. The Jeff Gimple, ladies and gentlemen. That's a big yikes for me. That's a big <laughs> and yikes. I wouldn't want to drink it. I just, there's, there's like, 
the apple crisp. All I'll right, try it. Let's try let's it. Let's get out. this. And I, what maple are we pear. Try? I like the idea of pear. I'm a big pear guy, but pumpkin spice sounds horrific. Toasted marshmallow sounds horrific. I, I'm shocked that you guys aren't more <laughs> appalled by this. I gotta say, I'm like I'm more interested in some of those flavors than like some of the seltzers I've had. I will not have again. Right. Like I don't like some of those, but I do want to try some of these. Okay. But interested is better than it actually sounding good. Like, yeah, I'm interested to know what pumpkin spice and toasted marshmallow is, but I also know I'm probably going to need a puke bucket next to me afterwards. I, I got an open mind, man, until I try it, you know, wow. until I try it. Good for you, Vito. Good for you. I just, wow. I don't like pumpkin stuff generally, unless it's pie, because it generally tastes like a candle and they make everything too sweet and, and too, uh, you know, uh, too candly. Uh, I don't think the, yeah, that's, the pumpkin spice latte from Starbucks is one of the best selling drinks. I, I think they're clearly just uh, trying to be like, Oh, we're going to hit this absolutely. up and get a bunch of buys. I think it'll sell. Yeah. Oh yeah. No I, argument mean, people are gonna, I think it'll sell millions, but people are going to do what we're doing right now and talking about how gross this is and go, Oh, we need to try it. <laughs> and then maybe it will be surprised. I mean, if we were able to combine pumpkin spice with coffee, like just holding those two things together and make like that sounds horrific to me. Like I'm a black coffee guy. I don't even like milk in my coffee, let alone a like pumpkin spice. And yet, like you said, it's one of the highest selling drinks, like literally of all time, but toasted marshmallow and an alcoholic beverage just sends me back to the days when we were drinking pinnacle whipped or any vanilla flavored vodka, which is just Satan's individual creation. Like that just sounds like, like, like Satan, has reincarnated himself to work at Bud Light and to work at, you know, Pinnacle to create whatever the hell this garbage is. I don't Test know. Man, was pulling a prank, right? I'm Test just was like, yeah, this is good. Pump it through. And they're all just like, wait, you did that? You did go through? Shit. We were just, kidding. <laughs> it was, it was like Obi-Wan Kenobi talking to the security guy and the one thing yeah. it's like, you know, <laughs> Like he just told them, he's like, say that you'll say, say this goes through. And they're like, oh, this is great. We'll go through. No, this is the worst. And I'm shocked that you guys aren't more appalled by this, especially considering I'm the seltzer guy, apparently out of the group. Yeah. And yet you guys are more on board with this than I am. Cause I saw that and, huh. and might've baby barked into my mouth. Um, all right. That's, that's all we got today. Um, thank you boys for hopping on as always. You're the best. Um, we will be back. Uh, uh, on Friday, and we will do the Big Ten, the ACC, the Pac-12, and we'll sprinkle in a, our favorite like group of five teams. So maybe a little Cincinnati, maybe a little Memphis, a little UCF. We'll get into some of that um, because college football, like we said, it's here. It's coming. And when you're watching college football this weekend, for the love of God, do not drink toasted marshmallow-flavored seltzer. Uh, for the boys, for I'm... you, bud. <laughs> maybe we'll do a live taste test of it. Yeah, we'll all try get the one. Jeff Gimple together. We'll make we'll make a video. We'll call it we'll call it the JG or the Gimp. Maybe we'll just call it the Gimp. I like that. The Gimpel. We'll call it the Gimpel in honor of our yes. man Scott Hansen. <laughs> um, again, Scotty with the win. Scott Hansen reading our fancy. I forgot about it until now. Like honestly, that was so cool. I'm, gonna just, go watch now, it again. I'm gonna get. We're all gonna go back and watch it. Um, thank you all for listening. We'll be back on Friday with another episode of the Reoption. As always, take it easy, everybody. Bye.